0: There are two main levels in us, our outer self and our inner self. The inner self is our connection to heaven. And right now in the NCE Spotlight, we discuss how the Word is designed in just such a way to link the two together. Stick around for fresh insights from the ongoing translation of the New Century edition of Swedenborg's Theological Works. Knock knock, Dr. Jonathan Rose. It's Chelsea Odner here.
1: Yeah, Curtis is tagging along. Hey, Curtis and Chelsea, do come in. Think I can make some room for you here.
0: Thank you so much.
2: That's that's always the most nerve-wracking part.
0: It's just the are we going to be welcomed or just rejected? Is he never going to open the door again? <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. We have we have been admitted across the threshold. Now we are in the the amber glow of your NCE editing office where you're <laughs> busily editing Secrets of Heaven volume something or other. And boy, are we glad you're doing it. So what have you found?
1: That vague vanilla smell of the lignin breaking down in the ancient volumes.
0: <laughs> oh, the
2: smell of books. You gotta make a candle of ancient lignin.
0: Yeah, that's my favorite perfume. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It really is addicting. i found some more passages in Secrets of Heaven, Volume 4, and these are about what I would title the Bible and us. And really, in a way, that could be the heading for Swedenborg's entire— certainly the whole of Secrets of Heaven is really about that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I thought this first passage was fairly brief, but— kind of just nails what his project is. He writes, The themes of the current chapter, this is about Genesis 25, and it's the opening sentence of it. The themes of the current chapter are the sons Abraham had by Keturah, Ishmael's sons by name, the birth of Esau and Jacob to Isaac and Rebekah, and the birthright Esau sold to Jacob for lentil soup. Anyone can see that material like this is useful as a religious history of the era, but provides little for a person's spiritual life. And yet it is our spiritual life that the word exists for.
0: I like that idea of what does it exist for? Our spiritual life.
1: Yep. And the fact that he
2: addresses the elephant in the room, which is what, how does this mean anything? How is this relevant? How is this relevant? You, unless you're just really sold on the Bible, that question is front and center. What, what, what is this all about? And the fact that he can say, doesn't, you don't need to know about who had, who as a child thousands of years ago, I just, okay, I'm willing to listen to your next paragraph now.
0: Yeah. It's like an open-ended question of like, if you just know, if all you knew was like, here, I'm going to give you this book and just know this is for your spiritual life. Mm. If you're keeping that in mind, like, then you kind of have a, I don't know, a compass through the thing, you know, you're going to read it with a different mindset, perhaps than just feeling like, what, what is all this, all these details?
1: That segues very well into the next passage uh, where he talks about the Word or the Bible being a a mirror. He doesn't use that exact word, that's my paraphrase, but it's a mirror of our own nature. And if our nature is negative, what we see will be shaped by that negativity. Mm. So he he goes on a little, little bit more length here. I must say a few words to explain more clearly what the case is with the word's literal meaning. The inner meaning relates to the literal meaning the way our deeper levels, our heavenly and spiritual planes, relate to our outer levels, our earthly and bodily planes. Our deeper levels bask in heaven's light, but our outer levels live in worldly light. The difference is like that between the light of day meaning heaven's light is like the light of day and the shadow of night. Since we live in this shadow and do not want to know that truth from the Lord contains light, we cannot help believing that our shadow is the light and conversely that the light is shadow. We're like owls flying through the shadows of night thinking they're in the light. But when they encounter daylight, they think they're in shadow. In people like this, the inner eye, the eye of the intellect by which we see inside, is not formed for any other purpose because such people themselves have formed it this way. In other words, they've shaped their own intellect to be focused on external things. They open it, this inner eye, when they look down to worldly and bodily concerns— and close it when they look up to spiritual and heavenly concerns. For them, the word is similar. What appears in its literal sense, they consider full of light. But what appears in its inner sense, they consider full of shadow. We each see the word according to our nature.
0: Wow. That's a lot to take in.
2: The Seeing the, sh- seeing the shadow as light, I was reaching to try to get an example of this but somebody who's never had good you know food x they they could think that you know some chain restaurant has really good food x but if you really go to where they have really good food x then you'd realize what you were missing that's kind of like oh
1: yeah like the shadow is the brightest thing we see so we're assuming that it's light it's a very kind of what they used to call postmodern i don't know if people still use that term but the idea that the text is shaped by your, you know, what you bring to it, who who you are. And, and here's Swedenborg in the eighteenth century saying that yes, that's exactly how it works. So if you're very externally focused and the, what is internal is in the shadow for you, that's exactly what you're gonna see in Scripture. But that's not Scripture's fault. That's what you bring to it. Is that a Rorst? Rorschach,
2: stretch, stretch, test. Yeah, yes, that's right. What do you see?
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> I just find <laughs> myself uh, thinking about the way you know. Last week we were talking about beauty, and Swedenborg is using beauty, and then he's elevating our mind, maybe bringing us to the inner sense of beauty, which is that goodness that has innocence within it, and here he's talking about how like the the literal sense is full of light to these people but then the inner sense is full of shadow um and i guess like what we we're talking about how in us our inner self and like he just wrote like it is what is connected to heavenly love um but if we're closed off from that we're only going to be seeing sort of contemptful and hateful things in the text or something. Um, and I guess I'm just kind of like thinking out loud here because I'm also, when he says like we, see, we read it according to our nature, that, that kind of trips me up a bit. But again, I have to be like, wait, what does Swedenborg mean by the word nature? Because we might think, well, that's just something you're born with. Like it's your nature. But that feels a bit like predestined. Faith or something, or like you're predestined to heaven or hell or something like that. But when I think of what Swedenborg means, I think, and you guys can share your thoughts too, is like your nature is really like the state of your love. Because that's like who we are is really what we love. But that that can change because our state changes and our, you know, we're developing. But so at any given time it's the state of our love that's going to, that's what we're gonna see, you know, in the text and And if we are connected to that heavenly love, then we're seeing the inner sense. And if we're not connected to that heavenly love, then we're just gonna be seeing kind of like stuff to fight with people about.
1: Yes, it's like your nature is your long-term rolling average of choices that you've made. (laughs) And so uh, he wouldn't be saying all this if he didn't think he could change our nature by kind of poking us a little bit, (laughs) you know,
0: Yes. by
1: saying, if you don't see anything deeper in here, you know, work on yourself, get that average up. Why do you think God made the Bible like that?
2: I mean, it's a, it's a feature that you wouldn't, it's not a, you wouldn't think if you're just going to design a divine revelation, the the must have feature is that it reflects your, mirrors your internal (laughs) state back to you. Hmm. Why? Why is God doing that? I, I'm actually
1: asking what, what you guys think about it. It's really interesting that um, there are certain passages in there that talk about the word being able to divide the the bone and the marrow, and uh, you know, um, discern these things. And I think in the Epistle of James it says something about how the it's like a mirror. You know, you you, you will see things about yourself in there. Um, so even the literal text does suggest that idea here and there, but it's very interesting to, because so many people pick it up and they just say, well, that's what the book says. And there n- seems to be no awareness that, oh, well, maybe the book is different for you than it is for me. I mean, that's kind of a threatening idea to some people isn't that relativism? Isn't that, haven't we lost all our bearings?
0: Right. Like somehow divine truth in its outermost form, which is the word, you know, but that could mean a lot of things or something. It has to be, it's designed to work for everybody for all time. (laughs) Like that's a pretty, uh, tall order. Like, um, and so that's what comes to mind in thinking about why is it like that It's like well kind of like I think God like divine truth knows the all the the complications of the system that's that is happening here where you have just you know billions and billions of people at different points in time connecting to uh, divine love through divine truth and gonna be at You know, their nature is going to be at an infinite number of different states, and somehow it works every time.
1: (laughs) Right. This next passage, in a way, um, speaks to that because it has a more positive emphasis. It starts out in a similar place, but that ends up saying what's possible in our reading of Scripture and what can happen depending on how we are kind of internally wired between our inner and outer self. He says, people who focus on the narrative alone, unable to shift their minds from it, see this phrase. It's a phrase about Esau and Jacob and what's gonna happen in their future. They see this phrase and others leading up to it simply as foreshadowing what took place between Esau and Jacob. Subsequent parts of the story confirm them in their view. The Lord's word, though, is such that the narratives have their logical sequence, and the spiritual contents of the inner meaning have theirs.
2: Hmm.
1: Our outer self looks at the former, our inner self at the latter. So the two, the outer self and the inner, correspond to one another, and the word provides the link. The word is the union of earth and heaven, as shown many times. So whenever we read the word reverently, our outer self on earth unites with our inner self in heaven. That's
0: awesome.
2: Wow. And that's that's kind of the answer to even the question that I was asking before. Mm Mm-hmm. Because... The outer sense of the Bible is such that wherever your outer self is, you can, you can get into it. That if your outer self is trending more negative, okay, well, I, look, I can see all this negativity in this book, and so I'll stay engaged with it, which mm. may be a way to continue to try to mm. at least link your outer and inner selves together, and hopefully, steer you in the right direction eventually. But that's, that's really cool and really tangible, and I hadn't heard that before.
0: I know, and I love the simplification. It kind of makes sense in a way it never has before to me of how that the uh, literal sense and the inner sense pair up with our outer self and our inner self. And then again, bringing in that amazing thing that has stuck with me from last time of like, when Swedenborg says the inner self, he is actually meaning that the goodness in us, you know, that we have from... The divine, like the part of us that is hooked up to heaven. Um, And so, of course, you know, to say get to the inner meaning is like connect to that love inside of yourself, connect to that inner spiritual dynamic, that narrative that's inside. Uh, Whereas the outer self, yeah, it's going to get all kind of tangled up in the thicket, as we know. And Um, and there's something key about him saying when we read it reverently, for some reason what, cause I, I just have this, you know, my, my mind always loves to think about how does this make sense sort of universally, you know? So that just means like in the most inclusive, as far as like religious experience or spirituality terms and like you know, on one end, you have people who are reading the Bible or reading other sacred texts that are written. In other places, you have, you know, an oral tradition of myths and stories being passed down generation after generation. And then in other situations, you have people who just, uh, you know, are practicing uh, mindfulness, you know, sitting beside a tree or watching a sunset. And that key of reading reverently You know, like spend time every day, quote unquote, reading reverently. And that I think can mean show up like what we bring to it and that reverence. So whether it's sort of through this like mindfulness of lifting your thoughts to that love when you're in nature or harvesting this nutrition from a sacred text, it's like, it's just so cool that that's, I think it makes sense no matter what the context is.
1: It really speaks to that it may be a fairly quiet little experience. It may be a thundering kind of insight. Um, but when you connect with the text, you know, when, when you really feel engaged with it um, and you're approaching it reverently, which to my mind is... You're not reading it to tear it apart or, you know, for some other reason. uh, You're really approaching it Mm -hmm. in a kind of prayerful and meditative state to, to, you know, looking for something for your life or or something to understand about God or something. And when you're approaching it in that way, uh, to think that it— because it didn't say you can eventually get there. You know, so much of what Swedenborg says is like, hey, hang in there because eventually you could get to this great situation. But it didn't say that here. It mm. said, whenever. Yeah. Right? Whenever, it, every, every step along the way, whenever we are reading in that state, we get that little mini paradise, that little foreshadowing, that little Sabbath of, oh, we're connecting, we're there. You know, we're there. Uh, Our our inner self is already in heaven, as we've been talking about, and our outer self is able to connect with it through that experience that we might not particularly reflect on It's just sort of a feeling, a little quiet feeling it might be uh, when we're reading.
0: That is so cool. I feel like we've connected to heaven a little bit at this time, just (laughs) listening to your words and thinking about that that link maybe we've even experienced a little correspondence oh my goodness no (laughs) anyway (laughs) thank you so much jonathan and we love it i feel so fed and i look forward to when we can do it again
2: thank you as always jonathan and chelsea always a blessing
0: I hope your heart was uplifted and your mind inspired by this week's NCE Spotlight. Subscribe to the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast to tap into this stream of fresh insights and join us on our excursions into the historical context of Swedenborg's life and works. All passages quoted in this episode are sneak peeks from upcoming volumes of the New Century Edition translation of Secrets of Heaven. If you've benefited from the work of the Swedenborg Foundation through Off the Left Eye and the New Century Edition, consider supporting us with a donation. We are a nonprofit and depend on the support of our donors. To give, go to Swedenborg.com donate. And thank you for listening.